Uh, hello, I am, I'll do my formal title, I'm Dr. Paul Quinn, I'm the director of the Chichester Centre for Fairy Tale, Fantasy and Speculative Fiction, and this is the second part of um, conversation that I've been having this week about Doctor Who and politics, and has it all gone to woke. The first part of this conversation was with two of my students which will be available online and we'll put the details out there where you can find them in Twitter but I am delighted to be joined by my very very old friend, perhaps my oldest friend, certainly my oldest Doctor Who friend, Joe Ford, the leader of the Ham Fam from the uh, Hampshire of a Blunt Penknife podcast a man who knows more about Doctor Who than most living people who can actually put a sentence together and are still emotionally continent and so I'm delighted to be having this very serious proper academic conversation with him unlike some of our other conversations which are very serious and detailed but are more jovial this one we're looking at politics and the time lord Joe I'm delighted that you're able to join me for this conversation you realize you are in fact responsible for me being this obsessed and knowledgeable about Doctor Who. And as you said a second ago, now you have become the Doctor yourself. There's something very meta going on here about my career choices. I'm not going to use the word grooming because we were both children. <laughs> and, um, you were a little older, but not that much. The closer model, I think, is some type of Jedi thing. And as Darth Vader says, when I left you, I was but a learner. Now I am the master. And that's your... Joe, I can't really. believe I'm going to reveal this to your students, but when we did use to play Doctor Who in your garden, you, in fact, always were the Doctor as well, yeah. I seem to recall. Yeah. But yeah, as, the, yeah, yeah. as the elder of the two of us, that's completely understandable. I don't know. that There's some weird psychoanalytical reason for that as well. But here we are now talking about politics and Doctor Who. So, Joe, you are far more involved with um, internet fans than I am. I'm mm. kind of a, a newbie with a few followers. You have thousands of followers. You have a reach beyond most people. You are, you are a, a kind of figure within fandom. And so you will have seen over the last few weeks or over the last few years, as we discussed uh, my students and I a couple of nights ago, how segments of fandom seem to have lost their minds. So I, I wonder... Just as an opening conversation, uh, opening question, why has some sections of fandom lost its mind over Jodie Whittier's casting, Yasmin Finney's casting and Cutie Gatwa's casting, do you think? Uh, just a huge amount of prejudice, I would say. Um, I think these people should look inside themselves, actually, and see what... I mean, the fact that they are, they've been given a platform to express these thoughts is is a bit of a show the the problem with twitter x whatever you want to call it these days is uh, that they've given everyone a voice and the best thing about twitter and x and everything is that they've given everyone a voice those two things are entirely contradictory but it, it just it does mean that people can shout and some people shout very loudly indeed mm. <clears throat> i mean this has been going on well Certainly, I think Whitaker's casting really did seem to put a penny in various types of fan who maybe been quiet for a while. I think there was a certain amount of ageism when Peter Capaldi, Peter Capaldi was cast, but I think the seismic shift was when Jodie Whitaker was cast, mm. and that's when this fandom divided. I'm not going to give away any spoilers about tonight's episode, but anyone that has in fact seen it, the giggle went out tonight and that <laughs> it's quite an important plot point. 
We're um, currently recording this just in the aftermath of the giggle. Joe has seen it. I haven't. Just to give you some context for that conversation uh, or that reference that Joe is giving you. So if you haven't watched the giggle, you won't know what he's talking about. If you have watched the giggle, you will know what he's talking about. And if you're the type of people who got very angry about Jodie Whittaker, you've probably turned off by this point already. <laughs> so we're looking at a long-term malaise in fandom then, Joe, I think. Well, do you know what I think the biggest problem is? Fandom comes with the word fanatic, yeah? So yeah. these people are obsessed with this show and they absolutely have a view of what this show should be, yeah? That's their opinion of the show. And if anything comes along that contradicts that, it sort of shatters their world. And we're in a position now where you can anonymously go online and attack people that contradict your point of view. It's a, it, it, I mean, I think I think social media is a wonderful thing, but it also can be a, a terrifying tool as well. Is is this worse then? Do we think than some of the fan wars in the in the nineteen eighties, which ironically Chris Chibnall was part of? We think about the um, that terrible TV performance where he turns up and he attacks um, season twenty three, Trial of a Time Lord, and and Pip and Jane Baker are in the room. Oh, it's glorious, isn't it? Pip and Jane Baker basically turn around to this ungrateful fan who goes on to be the showrunner of Doctor Who and say, "Well, I think you're very ungrateful." Which is probably what the sh- you know the production team of Doctor Who should be doing now, but unfortunately, we're in a position now where you have to play nice with everybody. I don't although Davis isn't playing nice at the moment, is he? It's interesting. RTD is pushing back, having not been on Twitter for a long time. He's now back, and he is pushing back. And actually, they they don't like it, do they? His one word replies of tough, and and what else he said. They really don't like it. So I, it's it's fascinating. What's so interesting about RTD is he played it very safe during his first run. And I think he started taking some risks as his era went along. Yeah. Since then, Stephen Moffat came in, who's got possibly the biggest pair of balls in Doctor Who and did lots of really interesting, controversial things. Then Chibnall came along and everyone thought he'd probably play it safe, the safest of all mm. and did the most controversial thing of all. So now Davis knows, right, I can get away with this and mm. the show can still be successful and I've got this massive studio behind me. And and now he's just going. That's back in the day. What did he do? He he equated, uh, you know, politicians to being you know gassy windbags. Yeah. And you know he turned the master into um, you know raining bombs down onto the earth. Yeah. A bit like Tony Blair. In fact, he looked yeah. a bit like Tony Blair, didn't he? In yeah. the sound of drums. But nowadays, you know, he can put something like a trans character front and center and make it a part of the show. And ride the controversy of the reaction to it as well. Yes, and and not care. I I, I see I see today there's a there are a hundred or so complaints about the Star Beast have gone into the BBC. Oh, seven million viewers. Seven million. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's which not indicates, a high percentage, is it? No, which indicates the people who are losing their minds about. It. I mean, I, I see um, a particular shop in North America. I think are probably in 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 legal peril. I think where they start talking about Jimmy Savile in relation to the current oh, production theme and a very popular um, um, homosexual musician with a very long career. I, I I think throwing around this Jimmy Savile accusation is part of a kind of grotesque discourse around trans. As one of my students said, I, I, let's get this right: trans trans men are invisible, trans women are predators, or is it the other way around? But it's kind of part of this kind of this fear of the unknown or, or they don't understand something that slips outside their kind of binary understanding. And here it is on Saturday night in, in a television program that 
people are very, very engaged with. But that level of kind of anger and hatred almost, and hatred in some instances, seems to be pulling against the spirit of the show that they profess to be fans of. It's a very, very odd It's really, really weird. Mm. And what, what I found most interesting about that was then Russell went on to the after show, doesn't he? What, I forget what it's called now. The Doctor um, Who Unleashed um, with Yasmin Finney and said, no, what we're trying to do is normalise this for young children so they don't grow up to be these bigots. Mm. You know, uh, it sounds sort of menacing to say get them while they're young, but get them while they're young with a positive message. That's what he's trying to do. I mean, what what's interesting for those who don't... Um watch the video with myself and a couple of my students. One of my students is non-binary and um, a lesbian and the other is bisexual. And they're not convinced by the writing of the Star Beast. They think it's a bit too pointed, a bit on the nose. They, they, they welcome the sentiment, they welcome the inclusive nature of it, but they don't like the writing of it. And I, I was really fascinated by that response. As a cis white centrist dad figure, um, I was really, amazed by that because i thought this is great no i've seen i've seen it quite a bit i've seen quite a few people online and especially in fact i saw more comment online about davros no longer being a disabled villain from people who are disabled saying i find this really offensive but i think do you know what i think if you're gonna do this if you're gonna make the bold step to make a positive statement about this and you're going to tie it it's not just like a scene you're actually going to tie it into the plot so the climax of the story pivots around this idea you are going to risk pissing off you know the wrong people as well as the right people i mean the davros one those responses they they challenged me i i thought davis was right well no two things I think Davros has become a really boring character and there's nothing else to do with him. And all you can really do is what Big Finish have already done, which is go into his past. And what Moffat tries to do um, in series nine, and then once you have Davros pulled out of his wheelchair, he's lying prone on the floor. I mean, I still think that's the most ill-judged moment in the new series. Unbelievable. But child Davros, there's something interesting there. But Big Finish has done it properly. Or they've already done it with, 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 with Terry Malloy. There's a sense of, don't, don't bother with Davros. What else can you say about him anyway? It was good to have him back in series nine. Uh, I'm sorry, um, series four. But really, he warps the Daleks for the second half of Classic Who. And there's really, of his five appearances, only three of them you'd want. Genesis, um, Revelation, and Remembrance. Remembrance, yeah. I mean, but if you can... Like he covers it in a line in that, doesn't he? He says basically all time is in flux. And yeah. so this this that, that's your sort of getting away with it. This is why he's walking again. To do something more interesting with the character, to just not go down the same beats. Why shouldn't you do that? I don't yeah. think it's I, I mean he he's on record as saying, you know, we don't want to uh, project negative stereotypes for people yeah. who are disabled. Yeah. But ultimately it's just uh, a interesting directions to take the character in i mean what was interesting then online was when when they saw um ruth madeley in the star beast uh, that then they got very agitated that her wheelchair had uh rocket <laughs> no one, one fella the the tweet that got the most traction was one fella when you know how dare they have her cross her legs because disabled people can't do that and suddenly that was being shared far and wide by ruth madeley herself 
I think Twitter then did put one of their corrections on it as well. So not only did he make a fool of him, <laughs> Twitter made a fool of him, which is which is fascinating. That you can you can go so far wrong, Twitter will correct you given the current um, regime running it. So it's been it's been yes, yeah, I, I think the current issue live is from the Children in Need special, but the current issue um, kind of as part of a wider discourse goes back to Whitaker, and I think, and it is these group of mainly men, mainly white, mainly in their 40s and 50s. So like me, but not me. And then really not happy with the show turning into what they think is something woke. And yet you wonder what have they been watching for the last 60 years? Why is the word woke weaponized? Because I just think it's a wonderful thing. Mm. Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, it. I had conversations with friends of ours who, who they moved down to Cornwall and they were in Cornwall. They were isolated all during lockdown and, and they emerged with some quite odd ideas. And I do wonder if they radicalised themselves and they wonder about woke, really angry about woke. They're in the medical profession. So they looked at people um, transitioning and who then regretted the decision. So that, but that's a different conversation, you see. That's an entirely different conversation. But it's kind of generalised woke and you collapse it into. And what woke I can see is that you're not a racist. You're accepting. You're... It's acceptance. That's what wokeness is but for some reason it's just it's this label yeah that's been given for everything that's wrong with being yeah. progressive and you know progressive is the issue isn't it and and how far then doctor who has always had this kind of progressive instinct within it and what have they watched i mean i mean in a sense this conversation which we discussed in october and we planned for october and didn't quite work out because of course we clashed with the university's carol uh, concert which raised some eyebrows by people who were going to come and definitely weren't going to the carol concert and in a sense toby haddocky has preempted this with his um his section on Newsnight where he looked at it and tim stanley was on there but it, it, there's a wider conversation and a more detailed discussion we had about dr who and and progressiveness because it is it is there isn't it i haven't imagined that I mean, but he's so brilliantly i mean that section on Newsnight was so brief He's so brilliantly, with such brevity, pointed out all those moments in the classic Doctor Who series yeah. where it was, quote-unquote, woke. Yeah. It's always been there. Yes. I mean, it's not been always the dominant mode within it, but I, I think you'd certainly look to when Cartmel is, is um, script editor, and Cartmel famously says... Doesn't he? When when asked what does he want to do with the with the um, job, he says he wants to bring it on the government, doesn't he? Which is um, late stage Thatcherism, um, and certainly you can see twenty five and twenty six have got clear political stories and and a clear underlying political awareness that you don't see maybe in twenty two and twenty three. It's so sad in eighty nine that the show comes off the air because it's getting racially very progressive as well. Look at Battlefield, which is a, a story which is entirely mixed race, isn't it? Yes. I mean there's the joke about twenty five that they have black characters in every story, but in every story bar Remembrance of the Daleks, they're associated with music, particularly rap or jazz, and the idea that that's what black people do and then in remembrance you have um in uh, harry's tea bar you have the night um staff is a black man talking about slavery mm. but the wider point is you wouldn't see those faces in doctor who even a year previously and certainly not two years three years four years five years previously here you've got it within the cast 
just to show how much he's trying to make a point Cartmel says in an interview that that's that no colored sign that ACs on the window in the hostel um, they wanted to cut it out and he said no don't you dare that's the point of the story yeah you know, like... famously the bit where he makes Jonathan Powell rewind the tape, doesn't yeah. he? Powell is ordering sandwiches. That you point. weren't watching. Go to watch this bit. Yeah. I mean, certainly he goes back, doesn't he? Remembrance the idea of the Daleks into racial purity. So naturally, their ally is some neo-Nazis, and this army sergeant that Ace is in love with potentially, he's a neo-Nazi, and it introduces Ace's intersection with early 80s mid 80s racism and i don't know how explicit it is in the story but you can certainly infer you know a homosexual reading into the happiness patrol as well definitely absolutely i mean i i, I think i think it's um tap wood in in about time that talks about section 28 and and, and that's the year of section 28 but there had been um agitation about what they think is happening in schools, which leads to Section 28 in the year previously. So I, I think it's, it's difficult to make the case that the, on one level, this isn't about Section 28 and about attempts to criminalise or silence homosexuality. Criminalise is wrong, but certainly s silence homosexuality in schools and the wider public. I showed Happiness Patrol to some students a couple of weeks ago. And so I actually looked up Section 28 in greater detail. And 71% of Labour voters in 1988 thought homosexuality was intrinsically wrong. Wow. And that's the Progressive Party. And so that shows you what's been pushed against there in a programme which is certainly encoded. All the pink... I mean, yeah. it's well, you've, got the, you've got the plainclothes policeman, haven't you, out on the street trying to trap, you know, people into saying the right things. And, like, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a part of a wider discourse about late-stage Thatcherism. Yeah, you've got um, the strikers coming into the city that they're going to, the snipers are going to kill. And you've got this, this kind of piercing interrogation of capitalism. What does the candy man do? He makes sweets that are so good they kill people. I mean, I, I, I love Happiness Patrol. I know it's not always a, a popular opinion. And certainly at the time, people thought it was Doctor Who gone very, very wrong. But I, I, think, it, I think it's brilliant. I think, I think to have Bertie Bassett on acid killing people. <laughs> because that's not the idea. In the script and in the book, of course, it's a kind of stereotypical scientist with big glasses and a white jacket and a bow tie. And the first time he realized something wrong is he cuts his finger off, doesn't he? And then he just sticks another finger on because he's made of marzipan. But I, I, I love that. And I, and I think it's, um, it's and is he Andrew S who's executed? That's the reading. That's the, that's the, the gay man who's being killed by the state. Yeah. And in the book, as I recall, it's something about him writing poetry, which of course is another stereotype about, you know, that the, the poetry is only loved by, um, flamboyant young men but i think it is something is going on there in that text and in the book in particular you skip forward to curse of fenric and it's not there because they didn't let him do it but ian briggs absolutely wanted to tell the story of alan turing didn't he and it but it, in the book he does have that um judson's injury is called by millington who cripples him during a rugby oh match. he's watching oh. A, another boy isn't he on the field yeah. and so yeah. you get this whole kind of Brookian discourse around the beautiful boy and because they can't actually um, act on their natural impulses, they, they kind of kill it. I mean, what's interesting is if you read something like Robert Graves' Goodbye to All That, which is a first world war narrative, 
And Graves has this, this amazing stat that he probably makes up because Graves is a great liar, of course, as he admits that 80% of public school boys are gay in one shape or the other because it's a closed institution where the only woman is matron, so kind of maternal figure, and therefore you can't act out on your um, sexual desires there because it, it, it's the, the Oedipal um, instinct. And so you get lots of same-sex relationships. Similarly in the army, you know, in the First World War, there's great concern in the war office that there's homosexuality in the trenches because they misunderstand homosexuality versus homosexuality and I think um, Briggs has picked up on that and, and has that in in that section there I, th I think I don't I don't understand the great love for Cursor I never have even 30 years down the line but I can see what he's doing in that book and I see what he's doing in in the television and it, and, and it certainly is I think about a homosexual relationship Let's not say baby steps. So let's say the show was making big strides in those last couple of oh, years. Absolutely. Yep, the yep. trouble with it is, is no one was watching at that point yes. and the show was an embarrassment yes. to the BBC that they wanted rid of. Yes. Now it is an institution. It is one of the most watched shows on television. It is on people's lips. So yep. if you if you put these messages front and centre now, it's going to get some attention. If you look back at Whitaker's rock, and where people seem to get agitated, set aside the gang who will never accept a female doctor. Where people really seem to get agitated was Orphan 55 and Praxis because of the environmental message. Yes, now, yes. The speech at the end of Orphan 55 is kind of unnecessary because it's quite clear. I love Orphan 55. I think it's an yeah, amazing. I do too. It's, it's, it's got 101 ideas, doesn't it? It moves to the lick. It feels like McCoy era stuff. I think the way that she effectively looks out the screen at the audience, yeah, yeah. you're just going to piss people off doing that. Yeah. You know, because people feel as if they're getting a lecture. But you know yeah. what? I mean, I wrote in my review, I've got a, a review website. It was like, no, we need this. Yeah. We need to be bloody lectured. The reason you don't like it is because you're not doing the things you should be doing. It's a reminder of the things you should be doing and you're yeah. not. I mean, I watched Praxis there a few weeks ago. It was late at night. I was in, I was ironing the children's clothes for school. And I'd forgotten just how well shot that is. I oh, mean, it's beautiful. It's it, very it's, expensive, isn't it? In, in a way that you don't often see. It, it, it looks like a film, but of course, it's about plastics, which is very on the on the money, and is an important thing, and it's something we can all work on. And I do wonder if the Ferrari around those two is. Dark money, as I said the, uh, the other night, so anyone who watches both of these lectures will hear me say this, make the same point twice. Is there something going on with the fossil fuel um, section who are clearly putting money into think tanks in this country who've got access to websites, newspapers, Twitter, and that they are attacking anything that looks like um, it's making a case for the environment and for environmentalism. And I think that's partly what's going on with those two stories because in and of themselves even if you ignore the environmental message which you shouldn't do but you could do apart from the very end of Orphan 55 they're really good episodes they're really strong episodes they're well written they're well acted they look in practice beautiful you know the bleakest thing about that episode was you know you know the section where the two vloggers discover all the rubbish in that beautiful yeah. setting yeah. and then later on there's a, a shot of uh, is it Gaia's they're called you know in the water where all the plastic um 
gathers in the water. And I'm like, that doesn't happen in real life. So I Googled it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, this really does happen in real life. And do you know what? <laughs> this might seem ridiculous, but I went out and bought a recycling bin afterwards. It, it, it had its impact. I think the issue is that if you, if you say something in the context of environmentalism and it's proven to be wrong or exaggerated, it then is used to dismiss the message. So I think anyone associated with the BBC have learned the message, the learnt the lesson of something like the Monocle Mutineer from 86, McGann, Paul McGann, yeah. a great doctor, let's remind ourselves, who plays this figure in the First World War. And the BBC's publicity said it was a real story. And then of course the right-wing press discovered that it, it wasn't a true story. And so they attempted to dismiss the whole story. And I think there's something, there's a lesson been learned there that you have to base this in reality. It's like Doomwatch, which I think we can see that that's where we're going, I think, back. This environmentalism is there in Pertwee. So all of these people who are attacking Whitaker's run for an environmental message are ignoring what Pertwee said. Well, that that was obviously the greatest parallel. And the thing that the people that liked the messages were bringing up, you know, go watch Invasion of the Dinosaurs, where the third Doctor says at the end, you know, it's it's not this that destroys the world, Brigadier, you know, it's, it's human Great. greed, yeah. you know. It's very, and he's basically staring out the screen. But you know, we can we can live with that because that's John Pertwee, and we love yeah. him, and we can't handle Jodie Whittaker doing it because she's a woman. Um, what's also weird because... is, is you go to Terror of the Autons, which is a story all about <clears throat> in the Pertwee era. Yeah, it doesn't touch on it at all. No, but it's working a different way, of course, isn't it? I mean, Holmes is going over to scare people about what's in their houses. What's the? It's in the one of the uh, DWM, I think that plastic chairs were ever in 1971. And so per, um, Holmes takes what's actually in people's living rooms and makes it kill them. But Holmes, I'm not sure, is a politically political writer. I think the, the, the clearly political figure writing for the purple... Malcolm Hulk? Yeah, because he's a communist. And actually, do you know, I don't think the most uh, the strongest political statement is on TV. I think it's Hulk's novelisation of the Doomsday Weapon which the depicts future. the mm. earth in the future in the most chilling way imaginable yeah. Yeah. where we no longer go outside we're allotted what half an hour to go and sit in the sunshine yeah. everyone's living in tiny spaces the whole planet's surface has been utterly polluted um, as a cautionary message it certainly makes its point i mean i i love Connolly in space the tv version yeah me too me too i don't think the master needs to be in it actually i think imc are the villains and i think that's the point that's being made there and it's kind of watered down when you have delgado much and all as i love delgado i don't think he needs to be in there but the book is astonishingly bleak but it's the vision of the future doctor who runs with thereafter which is something we spoke about on, on, a, on a previous podcast about how that's your touch point that those those three future earth stories in pertwee so um, Connolly in space, the mutants and the, and frontier in space are where Doctor Who keeps coming back to. That and the idea of the 51st century is a big stepping off point. But I think that vision of, of an earth that's worn out by industry and people have just become economic units. And even when they try and escape into space, into the high frontier, and you know, that notion of go west and go west, that industry is going to follow them. I think it's such a compelling narrative that that's a story we should still be looking at. Very telling then that when you skip across to Invasion of the Dinosaurs, you have a sequence of Sarah in the learning room mm. where she's effectively given a lecture on environmentalism. Mm. But it makes this point. Yes. Yes. I mean, 
I mean, that that's an interesting story in that they're, they're well-meaning, but the, the narrative suggests they're misguided, which kind of rejects that kind of Hulkian mode. I think it's Hulk out by that stage. You know, it's gorgeous, though, don't you think? Uh, clearly, Terrorist says, you know, he, uh, Hulk was staunchly left-wing, yeah. but he'd been involved with some, let's say, extreme left-wingers that frightened mm. him. So yeah. he plays, plants them front and centre in that story as the villains of the piece. Yes. It's that line that Terrorist says about what is it? Yes, of course, you know, we're going to control you and we're going to roll back time, but we're doing it all for your own good. Yeah. You know, it's like... I mean, I think what's interesting there, in certainly in Pert, where you're looking at the post-war consensus and you've still got a broadly centrist vision that everyone's working together. And of course, by the time you get into late Baker, you've got the monetarists have essentially taken over the Tories and they're proposing a very, very different narrative. Because Suddenly we're doing gags on tax. Yeah. I mean, I don't... I think Tap Wood and Lawrence Miles in About Time are right about... Um, uh, some makers. I think Tim Stanley on Newsnight trying to rebut Haddocky by looking at some makers is wrong because that's a very confused story. I don't, I don't have a great deal of time for the some makers. I'll be honest. And again, I know the received wisdom seems to be that it's gone under revision and and, it, and it's very, very good. But I think Woods and Miles are right. There's a confusion there about who you're paying tax to and do you want to pay tax. If the argument is too much tax is wrong. That's one thing. But if the argument is tax at all is bad, that's kind of a libertarian argument, which is playing into some of the arguments that are doing the rounds in the Tory party. But Thatcher is in charge at this point. Powell has been essentially destroyed himself, but he had been the key figure in the Montrose in the 60s. But Thatcher and Keith Joseph, who's also destroyed himself, of course, by, by, by proposing what looked like eugenics, Thatcher is the bastion of and the standard bearer of monetarism and, and, and a kind of rolling back to the state and rolling back to sensation. And she's in charge by this point. And you're really looking into, it's always counterintuitive to go, well, you're, you're 77, 79 is inevitable. It wasn't. If there'd been an election in 78, it would have been different. But I, I have problems with what Holmes is writing now. I, I don't think it's quite as left wing and progressive people. I think, think the jokes soften the blow. It's not angry enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think the kind of Kenneth Williams-esque performance of the yeah. gap problem there as well. I think Stanley is wrong when he talks about that the the collector has got uh, Dennis Healy's eyebrows. I think that's just really reaching on the part of somebody who's broadly centre-right, who loves Doctor Who and wants to make Doctor Who centre-right. As a criticism of Thatcher, Happiness Patrol is much better because they dare to make her a sympathetic character. She's got layers. I think Holmes, when he comes back to politics in 84 with Keza Androzani, is more clearly engaged with uh, mid-period Thatcherism. So you've got the reference to the factories being closed down in the West and the workers being moved to the camps in the East. Morgus is clearly some type of hyper-Thatcherist figure. So I think he's much better on it at that point in time and as, as a satire as well. And I think because Sayward is script editor at that point and... and He's looking towards a satirical future, I think, in, in Revelation of the Daleks. There's a sense which is a meeting of the minds there in, in 84 when they're working on Kezo Androzani. I'm not sure that Sunmakers is quite the progressive text that people want it to be, but I'm not sure how political Holmes is for most of his run. I can't see it. Maybe the two Doctors? He's having a pop there at the meetings. He is. The problem, of course, as, we, as we've said previously, the costume department ruined that narrative. 
Well, and I think as well, JNT had a hand in it because um, John, what's his name? John Stratton yeah. gives such a great performance. I'm completely on his side throughout, even though he wants to, you know, kill and eat everybody. I mean, what happens in Two Dots is interesting because it is meant to be, you're meant to view Jamie being treated as meat and therefore think about how you're treating meat. But because Shockeye doesn't look alien enough, and there's a weird kind of homoeroticism in it because he wants to eat Jamie. He's not really as interested in Perry. And well, then he, he knocks out Perry and goes, pity it's not a jock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so there's there's odd things. And what conclusion do we draw from this from this story? You know, let's oh, make, uh, let's let's be vegetarians. That's not really yeah. a solution, is it? I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the, the end of the script is meant to summarise what Holmes wants to do. And I, I don't know, I think... I think it's too long. I think the Sontarans add an element to it that kind of is is muting um, or reducing that that anti meat eating. And the problem is because there's cannibalism in, in a number of other scripts in twenty two, it just looks like another cannibalistic text, and so it re- it loses that that meaning. And so twenty two looks broadly apolitical. But look at these instances peppered throughout the run. Yeah, it's there. Yes. People people saying it's gone woke. Yeah. No. It's always been there. Oh, you know, as far back as and you talk about progressive, having the black astronaut in the time uh, the tenth planet, you know, that was hugely progressive for the time. Yeah. I mean tenth planet is an interesting example of where things are clearly shifting under Innis Lloyd. And it's a world that William Hart can't be part of anymore. We're suddenly very international on every base we go to from that yes. point on. Yes. Which is realistic. The problem, of course, is then you've got two of the sidemen, which returns to stereotypes around black characters and um, Arabic characters, where they're the villains. Toberman can barely speak. I think yeah. I'm saying that he's meant to be mute or he's meant to be deaf and a deaf mute. But then when he speaks, it's a kind of guttural, guttural single word. And he fulfills this kind of terrible stereotype of the giant and and also cliches around the black man, which you've got with Kemmel as well, of course. That's it, two back to back. It's like they're opening a door and then they're slamming it shut yeah. again. So yeah. frustrating. Yeah. I know. But, I but think... there are attempts. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, let, let, let's give them credit. I mean, they've moved away from blacking up that you find in Marco Polo and that you find in the Crusade, which is an interesting one because people always look to the Crusade. Oh, it's an Ironbird pentameter. So, it, you know, it's kind of more sophisticated. Well, it is, but you've still got Bernard Hill browned up. And I'm not sure that Saladin and the people around him are anything other than the kind of stock villains that you'd expect in this type of discourse. I'll tell you what, tying this back to social media, I think the worst conversation I ever had with somebody was about the abominable snowmen animation Mm. where you know and I saw that at the BFI and Gary Russell stood up and you know an old school Doctor Who fan Jeremy Bentham you know very big circle all in the sort of Levine-ish circles um said you know how why did you do this Mm. you know and Gary Russell's like are you kidding me (laughs) we we are literally trying to make this more accessible for people now the same reason we put it into colour you know, the same reason why we occasionally take scenes out. It's because we want to make this a product that people can watch today. And I had a conversation with somebody online where I asked the question because they were fighting this argument. And I said, do you want them to animate somebody where it looks like they've got tape on their eyes mm-hmm. to make them Asian? And they said, yes. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's been a strange few months, hasn't it? Because this week... 
with Celestial Toymaker back in the mm. fans' um, vision. Defenses of the use of the N-word. And I, you know, I'd forgotten the N-word is there in that script. And, of course, that's that's accounting right. It's not in the script, you know. That was, that was ad-libbed by the actor. I learned that from oh, Toby yeah. Haydock's um, recent podcast on the Celestial Toymaker. That's worse again, then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. But as you'll die on that hill that it should be in there because you shouldn't erase history. But this isn't history. This is a kind of disposable piece of television which has a spurious reputation for greatness, which most people have rejected once they saw that fourth episode. And when you read a kind of convoluted journey between original commission and it to actually turn up on the TV or the George and Margaret business, the kind of very polite middle-class version of um, Waiting for Godot, it's not actually that good. But of course, yeah, the fact that they've now removed the word celestial from the title. They have. And it wasn't mentioned once in the Google. What's interesting, I I can't think of a time where celestial is used as a euphemism for Orient. No, I said that to my partner today. Yeah. I said, why are we making that co- connection? I yeah. just figured celestial meant, you know. Yeah. It's very, it's interesting. Now, partly I think it's probably re- reflective of another debate, which people get very hep up about, which is Tanners Wen Chiang. Oh boy! I Which knew we was going to go there. Have to go there. I, I, I mean, I had a very civilized conversation online about it a few nights ago, and out whether it's controversial. Yes, it is. I suspect part of the issue is because it was such a beloved, and because it's by Robert Holmes, people really don't want to criticize it. But you can't get around the fact there's yellowing up involved. There is. Do you know, weirdly enough, that upsets me less than the portrayal of the bulk of the Chinese characters yeah. as villains. That Which bothers me more. Though, because the old argument used to be, well, Lee Sen Chang doesn't use that kind of stereotype speech impediment when he's away from Westerners. Yeah. Before he plays the role the yes. Westerners would expect. But actually, when you go back to the script, and again, somebody tried to defend uh, this little man and four other little men, because Tom Baker's six foot three. What are you talking about? The notion of littleness and Chinese is essentially connected throughout all of these texts. And it's a type of stereotype. The old argument, wasn't it, that Holmes took such a vast array of texts, Sherlock Holmes, um, uh, Phantom of the Opera, intersecting with the Jack the Ripper and Fu Manchu and and parodies, pastiches and criticises it. But I don't think that's the case because the, the yellowing up immediately makes it one of those texts but within the script itself it's one of those texts i mean i think i think the more recent work that's been done around the jack rifter's victims in that book the five that that brilliant book the five even that does damage to holmes because in that section in i think it's episode four where lee sin chang is stalking the streets and he meets what's clearly a prostitute Mm. if we look at the five most Jack the Ripper's victims weren't sex workers. Two of them had taken sex work on for economic reasons, but most of them are just women. But they're constructed as sex workers in the journalism of the day, in the proto-tabloidism or the yellow journalism. And how we as a society, as the police then in the late 70s, Jack the Ripper treats sex workers versus normal women turns the conversation away from their victimhood to suggest they were asking for it. So I think even that is a problematic in that text. I mean, I used to love Talons of Train. I still love it, but I think it's a deeply problematic text. I do too. What um, I watched 
one of our dinosaurs is missing over Christmas for the first time ever, which has some of the most troubling yellow face I've ever seen in my life. And the performance, good grief, talk about offensive. It taught me that actually there are degrees of offensiveness with yellow face. And at least with the Towns of Wing Chiang, you have John Bennett giving a very layered, very nuanced performance. He is a sympathetic character Mm. that's risen up the ranks due to the power he's given. Like, there's more there than than just being offensive. There, there's there yeah. there is some depth to it. I mean, as late as 1980, I think when they do a kind of pastiche of Fu Manchu with Peter Ustinov, he does yellow up, and of course, four years later in Passage to India, in in a, in a proper film, like you're meant to treat him respectfully as as an adaptation of a classic. Um, Alec Guinness browns up. I mean, 1984, was was there no Asian actor of that stature and that age who could have played that role? You had to get Alec Guinness to Brown. Wasn't it you that told me they were off doing gangsters or something I, else? I think somebody seemed to confirm that online the other night, and then he said, yeah, I'm not sure, but I, I, I think there's something to that. Was the pool that small? It Potentially. it's. I mean, it's not as small as it was in 64 for Marco Polo, but it is, it's small, but... There are actors there. So unless they were all up around Pebble Mill filming gangsters, then you do have to have John Bennett. But I, I, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. I, given, given that you've had Robots of Death the week before, which by the standards of the time has a very diverse cast in that you have a woman of colour and you have an Asian man within that cast, to then slip back into this kind of yellow perilous dialogue, discourse with yellowing up, and even setting that aside, the vision of the tongue as this kind of yellow peril, so to reuse the phrase. And that, you know, is there something going on there around the, the, the opium wars? Is this Holmes given this kind of totalised vision of, of late Victorian London? Maybe it is. But couldn't you have cast one of the actors playing the coolies to be Lee Sen Chang? You remember um, Major Daly in Carnival of Monsters? Yes. I figure out he was sort of... Robert Holmes, you know, like <laughs> that's Robert Holmes actually in a story. Yes, yes, I think I think that's right. I I I love Holmes. I think he has five or six stone cold classics. But I don't. Well, th- I I love Terence Dix, but he makes no secret of the fact that he wishes the Empire was back. You yeah. know, and things have gone a bit. You know, we're being very liberal with the ladies these days, and things like. Yeah. You know, he's a fantastic writer, but problematic. And the question yeah. is, can you separate? the work he's producing from the person that he is. Yes. I can. I mean, I forget what podcast, not podcast, what um, DVD documentary it is that Damien Collins MP is on and makes the case that Troughton is essentially a type of neocon. You know, there are corners of the universe that produce the most terrible evils and they must be fought and then what you find is him going around slaughtering ice warriors with, with abandon in, in seeds of death. And I think there is something to that as well. But again, it's how the programme changes once you get into series four. And it's not really trying to be whatever it wants to be. It wants to be what's on ITV or ATV at that point yeah. in time. And therefore, you have a more assertive kind of killer doctor almost. Or, or what you can do within the confines of, of, of the character. And within the structure of the show, there suddenly it's very formulaic. It's doing yeah. the American thing, you know, having a season of very similarly told stories. Yeah. Yes. I mean, what's notable there, but again, it, it, it's the mid-60s, what do you expect? How, how, how 
infrequently you find people of color although in enemy of the world yeah, for um, real yeah it, and she's a fascinating character she really i mean i mean i think that's the great discovery there of 10 years ago i mean everyone loved web of fear being discovered but i think discovering what enemy of the world looked like although it is trout and pretend to be mexican but within that there's a there's Don't a let me do the accent i'll do it all right <laughs> we're not, we're not, we can all we all know the accent what it's like. but i think farrier and her relationship and kind of mm. what it is to be in involved in that kind of destructive relationship utterly fascinating but of course she has to be murdered yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We are. what we've done, haven't you? We've gone from in this conversation, we've gone from the sort of liberal uh, messages of acceptance yeah. that that the right wingers complain about in the modern times to the inadvertent offensiveness of the classic series that the left wingers complain about. Yeah. Do you so can't... we 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 have gone on a journey. Yeah, certainly on a journey. I don't think we've actually proved the point. What we've proved is that Doctor Who has always had a political element in it, or at certain phases it's had a political ele- political element. But it doesn't always chime with a kind of liberal sensibility, which we might want to find. Or it's liberal at the time, but it's of its time. And I think that's certainly around Dixon Holmes's writing. I think I'd that's- certainly say it's annoying the right people now. Yes, but so. the difference between the classic series and the new series, and you alluded to this earlier when you said what was it like in fan circles back in the day, was there was a fanzine coming out and there was the occasional Doctor Who meetup, and that's all you heard of these arguments, you know, yeah. and points of view once a week. If you're lucky, a letter got in. Yeah. Uh, nowadays, we've got a platform where everybody is heard, so suddenly. There's a million voices coming at you and yes. a small percentage, but a very vocal percentage are making their point. Yes. And I think, I think you've also got in New Who three showrunners that we've had now since 2005 with Davis's return, obviously, who are very politi- politically aware, politically active and aware of fandom. I don't know JNT for huge phases of his run was interested in politics. I don't think he saw it as germane within the series, but I think it's to his credit that he gives um, Cartmel his head and lets him run with the type of scripts that he's uh, working with, editing, allowing through in 25 and 26. I, I think I think there's an extraordinary um, vibrancy there. I, I, I think, you know, Rona Monroe comes in there into more mm. subtle script, but it's certainly it, it's condemning some of the attitudes we see in the Daleks around fighting. It's about consumerism. It's about um, estates, and and I think yeah, I think what he does, Cartman, what he does with with, with Ace's journey. I mean, it's easy to laugh at. We I think we used to White Kids firebombed it, but actually as a product of his time, he's looked at racism. That's his way into this character, and from that he can look at other elements within late 80s society which need to be critiqued and need to be pushed back against and i think we've got that now with these um showrunners that we've had more overtly at the moment i think and, and with chibnall i again i think it's more I, I think i think russell is the most overtly political now, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i think i think chibnall's probably the least but it's certainly there i mean did anyone watch arachnids in the uk yeah. that hotel the hotel on top of that you know that toxic waste yeah like it wasn't subtle but it made the point i mean i think i think in 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 season one 
where of course it's by no means guaranteed there's going to be a season two. So there's a sense in which once they realise how you make Doctor Who, they throw everything at it. And so you get these great iconoclastic moments. So the Prime Minister is killed, Downing Street's blown up, Big Ben is hit by um, a spaceship, the Doctor is eaten by a, a time bat and the TARDIS collapses. But within that, you've got these kind of political statements around um, late phase New Labour, early Cameronomics, if that was even a word, I just made that up. It really, they were never that significant. But that idea, I mean, there was a weird thing going on there where you, it looked like every other week, the problem with bankers. So, you know, in um, End of the World, Cassandra got a very weird plan about driving up share price, which doesn't make much sense. The Slovene wants to turn Earth into a nuclear um, pile of, of fuel. And you think it's happening with um, the long game as well, that a conglomerate of bankers wants to control the message. And Voyager then... the Dam, Rickson Slade and Voyager the Dam, and then the villain in that as well, that's just looking to make a ton of money out of a yeah, load but of... of course, yeah. Voyager the Dam is one that the wrong people have looked at to go Russell G. Davis using the cliche of the villainous wheelchair user in his previous yeah. And of course, they've looked at John Lumick as well. Um, but then is... Russell is the first person to say yes that was okay then it's not now Absolutely. things have changed we've got to move with it and I know you know as, as an academic I see exactly what he means in terms of this long history of reading physical deformity as evil and it's just wrong and it's show like Dr. Who... and it is there it is there think Magnus Grill, Shara's Jack you know yeah. uh the borad i mean yeah. th that that the climax of time lash where yeah. the doctor basically says you're an ugly twat and yeah. i'm gonna kill you now it's just awful isn't it yeah. it's just it's it's doing the complete opposite of what doctor who's doing now and, and it is there in davros you can't yeah. really get davros certainly by the time he comes back in the 80s most people would have seen for your eyes only where we can't say it's Blofeld for contractual reasons, but it is Blofeld. By this point, he's in a wheelchair and he's dumped down a cooling tower. And are we meant to applaud that or are we meant to go, oh, Bond, you shouldn't have done that? I think you're meant to applaud it because he's a villain, but he is in this type of wheelchair. And then Davros turns up again. And here we are, the kind of cliche of the scarred villain in, in a wheelchair. So I, I think absolutely for the right intention. It's fascinating that wheelchair users don't like that removal of that figure. So, okay, it's saying we listen to the people that are shouting the loudest. What is the conclusion that we draw then? What, what action do we take? We suddenly bring in a lot of terrible you know we kill off the black people we yeah. make the women trip over you know run away screaming you know we murder all the gays what do they want i mean do they want us to go backwards what 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 they don't realize of course is there's a version of what they want in the daleks i was thinking about this the other day particularly after the the, the colorized version that was there on on the anniversary the daleks is an interesting story of course because it's partly about eugenics isn't it? And if you think about who achieves the, the role as the master race, it's the Thals. They're blonde and they're beautiful. They're exactly yeah. what the Nazis want to be. Yes. And, and if you could remove a single scene from that text, which is where the Daleks say they're playing to bomb Scaro to make the environment suitable for them as these figures who are never going to perfect their mutation, which of course is a scene that Ian doesn't know about and so it causes problems there at the end of episode four, I think, where Ian goads the Thals into attacking the Dalek city without realising they need to attack the Dalek city. If you remove that, what you've actually got is what, what appears to be there for the rest of the story. A frightened group in mm. wheelchairs being attacked by the Master Race. And I think that's what some of them 
think they've been watching for 60 years, which they haven't been. And what they've really been confronted with is that this world is a world that doesn't have um, just white people in it and doesn't just have able-bodied people in it. What's interesting, of course, is are the people complaining from the LGBT community? Well, they wouldn't be T, would they? Don't, they don't like the T community. The, old, the LGB community. And where do they think they are? Given how fandom has, for a long period of time, had a, a, a large group within it, for within the um, lesbian and gay community, are some of those figures weirdly are now looking at other minorities and going, no, you can't be part of Doctor Who. This is this is our thing. It's a strange, strange world. And of course, you, you know, know what's happening. You know what's happening with the new series now is I remember when uh, Grace died at the end of the Woman Who Fell to Earth. Mm. And, you know, I listened to some very progressive podcasts where they're going, it's appalling, you know, this amazing black woman. Mm. How dare you kill her off? I'm mm. like, no, <laughs> that's the point. And the, the consequence of that and the emotional effects of that are going to play out amongst the whole season. Whether she's black or not is irrelevant, I think, yes. in that case. I think the problem, of course, is that they've inherited the idea that Moffat kills his black characters very easily. So Bill and Danny Pink are the obvious examples of that. This one made me popular. I do think we can get too offended as well. I think it's a fine line mm. between not being offended by this stuff and yeah. being too offended by this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And, you I know, like, know. I remember when the, the gay guy died in um, Resolution. He had one scene and he mm. says something about, oh, these are the best digits in town. I tell my boyfriend that all the time. And in the next scene, he's either knocked unconscious or dead. It's yeah. a Dalek, so let's assume he's dead. Yeah. And people being appalled by that as well and saying, you know, Chibnall's suddenly on an yeah, anti-gay agenda. Mm. And then in the next series, he has two gay, very hot gay men snogging in the TARDIS. You know, like, it couldn't be any further from the truth. So yeah. I do, I do think the right people can be offended as well. Yeah. unnecessarily yeah it's like it's a bit it reminds me of when they do you want to talk about social media when they were doing doctor who lockdown and they were doing watch alongs and it was mooted that gareth roberts uh, who i think is an appalling man and he is absolutely a transphobe his story unicorn and the wasp was going to be watched and suddenly everybody was like how dare you show this like you know and here's my big objection, yeah, is you don't like it, Talents of Wayne Chiang, whatever, Unicorn and the Wasp, you don't like it because you don't like something about the person that was involved with the production. That's fine. Don't watch it. Yes. Don't tell me I can't watch it because I can separate those things. And that is something that's missing online, yeah. is that people just make that assumption that because they don't like it, everybody else shouldn't like it as well. And that's just not the case. New Colossus is a, is a terrible episode. Oh, I love it. What are you talking about? <laughs> that, that, that's another conversation, isn't it? That, that, that's a hamster episode. Oh, well, I haven't done that one yet. Oh, know. well, there you go. We'll have to, we'll have to put that one in. Which seems a, a nice way of bringing this kind of to a, to, to a conclusion, I think, that we're never going to solve this issue. But the, the idea that Dr. gone too woke ignores the fact that it, it's been woke at various points in its history and also not woke at various points in his history. And that's part of the richness of the show. And also that, you know, people are complaining. The right people are complaining. The wrong people are complaining. It, it's it's always going to happen. I think if you dare to risk to put a message in something, 
it's going to be divisive and people are going to have their say and they can now yes yeah that's the difference isn't it it's not just fanzine based or at a convention they can tweet it now and they can get stuck in and then they can block people and then they're in a i mean that that was going to be my response to you there should you not want to hear that there's a very quick solution yes (laughs) would that they all blocked and then we could just go back to watching it or just go back to watching the dvd because what what they really want of course is doctor to fail to be axed and then they can just watch the same four episodes from 1967 which is their vision of doctor who yeah. that's what the dvds are for and that's now um, what the universe is for i'm you know i'm not entirely unconvinced that cancellation anxiety is in behind all of this you know i think so but that it's weird people who now appear to be espousing the voice of the right really are, are looking towards the left and the idea of that we never really want to be in government because it's much easier to be in opposition to complain about everything and to purge 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 that's what we're in now the purge and actually that's not what doctor who is really about i don't think at its best at its best it's about challenging injustices it's about challenging prejudice and it's be kind is such an overused term and people who use it tend not to be kind but certainly i think capaldi's dying words in when he doesn't die actually doesn't you know when he's meant to regenerate is just be kind and until someone proves there is shit just give generously to all which is a wonderful sentiment i would say though as well you and i had a conversation off mic about the difference between a lecture if yes. something coming at you and a dialogue yes. and the dialogue is being willing to have your views challenged which means you should be open to hearing what the other ha- other side has to say we shouldn't eliminate those voices oh, well, we, they need to be met because if, once you eliminate them they're justified but if you can challenge them and they're prepared to be challenged all the better, because that's how new ideas emerge. That's how new friendships emerge. And that's how a great uh, understanding of each other emerge. That's why we're in the state we're in, polarization and separation. What we want is these spaces to talk about. And you're not going to agree with everything. And you can see people online that you, know, you might agree with most of what they say. And that 10%, you're not sure about that. But do you block them and walk away? Or do you go, I don't agree with you. You're probably not going to change your position. But let's meet here. And Yeah, that's I would say weird. don't. Don't always lock that door. Yeah. Sometimes just open it up and see what somebody's got to yeah. say. You might not like it, but you know your opinion may change. That may make it sound like wishy-washy liberals, but that—that's you know that's exactly what we are. Paul worked for a long, long time, and it's playing to the extremes. The ten percent you're never going to persuade you. Just leave over there. The rest will just be here. Things will be much, much better. Although going back to the conclusion you were trying to make there, yeah, even when you are coming at people with your opinion even when you are having a dialogue always be kind capaldi is right you may not like moffat but capaldi is right in capaldi we trust and and also never eat avocado pears no they're terrible things (laughs) joe it's been a pleasure as always and um i uh I this has prompted some some thoughts I I think and yeah we'll get the links there or, or where you can listen to a couple of my students got some really fascinating things mm. to say about New Who in particular and, and I hope that it, the sound quality isn't great because it's our first attempt to do it at work but we're we're planning more of these type of things so so I, is this kicking off into a, a sort of a, a podcast domain a sort of a debate arena yeah that's what we're looking for or, or students talking about their engagement with fantasy, sci-fi, um, fairy tales. So. What was the name of the two students that you had on? Aoife and Meg. Who... Well, you absolutely have to get them on again. Fabulous. 
they are great and they have lots to say and um, about Merlin and about Batman and about DC Comics and they're, they're great stuff and so yeah we'll keep keep an eye out for them and we'll get those the details out once the site's actually up and running properly. I'll say this and it may sound a bit disingenuous there's many a Doctor Who podcast that I've pressed play on and turned off within five minutes I'll watch that whole hour all right. <laughs> High praise indeed. Indeed. Oh, I'm sort of blunt pen knife. So listen, listen to your leader and, and, and come to the centre for fairy tales, fantasy, and speculative fiction. So listen to what some of our students and me and hopefully Joe will be on there again. Um have to. And um yeah. This has been this has been awesome, Joe, as ever. Thank you. No, no, thank you. It's been a joy.